Listening to the taxation talk during the uh, federal election campaign is painful on so many levels. Painful because it's disrespectful by purposely misleading some of us, and painful at other times because it's actually unintentional and founded on ignorance. Welcome to Money Talks. My name is Michael Campbell. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment, meaning you get paid first. There's no fees incorporated with it, and it's in the tech industry. All of those features go to soleraclub.com for more information. I got to figure corporate taxation discussions have to be the worst. And a heck of a lot of the drivel is perpetrated, at times originated, by the media. Some people are so politicized that they actually think that math or demographics, actuarial accounting, the entire economy, it's all about politics. Maybe the best example is when President Obama declared without even a hint of blushing that his own election as a Democratic Party nominee, in quotes, marked the day when the moment came with the rise, uh, when the rise of the oceans began to slow and our planet began to heal, end of quote. Boy, that's quite a claim. You know, if a guy was sitting in the corner in, like in Times Square yelling that kind of stuff, I think we'd think he was nuts. Heck, you're healing the planet. Well, then, rewriting the laws of economics and human nature is a piece of cake. Unfortunately, no politician in history has been able to do that. China can't do it right now despite trillions of dollars at its disposal, ultimate state control. France can't do it. Largest degree of state intervention in the Western world, and it's a disaster. It got downgraded this week by S&P, its debt was. But evidence, history, research doesn't derail that state controls the economy train. That is, you can raise taxes without consequences, increase regulations without any fallout. And if that's what you think, well, what I'm about to say is of no interest to you. We really are dividing in this country for those, as Stephen Colbert says, who think with their head and this whole other set who just knows with their heart. But one, there are no economists anywhere who think the way to grow the economy, create jobs and attract new business in order to diversify the economy, as so many are demanding, is to raise taxes on business. No one thinks that. Not even groups with specific big government mandates, like the Center for Policy Alternatives. They wouldn't even suggest that. But somehow, we got a lot of people in the media who think it's still a debate. It's not. Two, and this is one that will make supporters of the progressive left uncomfortable. See, all parties now have acknowledged that corporate income tax rates have to be competitive especially with the U.S. And even most of the media seems to get that now, but I suspect it's only because they've got the okay from the political left. Of course, even a glancing familiarity with the news of the last couple of years with stories like the exodus of Burger King to, Calif- to Canada rather, made it tough to ignore what famous tennis player Bjorn Borg observed. High taxes don't redistribute taxes, they redis- redistribute taxpayers. But that's nowhere near the whole story, and that's my point this week. I read a piece on the CBC website suggesting that as long as our rates were below the U.S., you could raise them without consequences. It infuriates me when I read that kind of drivel, because it shows not only incredible bias, by the way, toward big government, no thought that somebody's money might be their own, no thought that somebody might have worked for it, but it's also just incredibly unsophisticated. And it's that degree of ignorance that makes having even a rational discussion about taxation overwhelming for me. I mean, I don't even know where to start when even fundamental concepts like 
corporations don't pay tax and they don't, only people do, is not understood. I mean, come on, it's the shareholders who are going to pay. And those shareholders include anybody with a mutual fund and pensions especially. But it also includes workers. It includes consumers who pay that tax through higher prices. I mean, pensions, by the way, are just a killer because they're desperate to make enough money, enough return on their investments. They've got to meet their obligations. And they're asked to do that in a basically zero-rate environment. So the other part of that portfolio that's invested in, you know, in stocks, et cetera, they've got to really perform. Well, higher corporate income taxes hurts dividend payouts, hurts companies' growth prospects. And that's not good if you're part of a pension. But it doesn't stop there. Number two. Higher corporate income taxes reduce the amount of money needed to increase workers' salaries. I mean, it's common sense. Salary increases come out of after-tax dollars. So if you reduce the number of those after-tax dollars, the likelihood of getting a raise is reduced. Number three, it doesn't matter about corporate tax rates. Raising, or comparative, I should have said. Raising corporate taxes hurts job creation because it reduces the amount of money a company has available to grow, to invest. And of course, higher corporate taxes reduce the incentive to invest in the first place. And that, by the way, is another aspect that politicians of the left, the right, and the center have all acknowledged once they were in power. Now, keep in mind that Corporate income tax represents less of half of what a company pays anyways. Property taxes, sales taxes, payroll taxes, mandated uh, minimum wage, environmental taxes, a host of other fees. This along, by the way, with a massive regulatory burden. Recently, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business concluded the regulatory burden on businesses was about 300, or rather, $37 billion a year. $11 billion of it, sadly, was useless. Which brings me to number four. You're a consumer. You don't have to have mutual funds. You don't have to be a worker for a major company and have your ability to get a salary reduced. No, if you're a consumer, these tax increases, wherever possible, are getting passed along. I mean, think about it. If you rent right now and they got a big property tax increase, presto, I'll promise you your rents are about to go up. Any cost, including higher taxes, are passed along whenever possible to consumers in the form of higher prices. It's incredible. we got the same people who are worried about the rising cost of living supporting higher business taxes. That's going to increase your cost of living. Go figure. All I'm saying is, hey, go ahead. Raise corporate income taxes. But you better just understand the consequences. I'm taking a break. I'm coming back. i got Michael Levy. Top three stories that smart people are talking about. I'm broadcasting today from the Fairmont Tremblant en Mont Tremblant, Quebec. Thanks to the people at the Fairmont Hotel for making this possible. Very pleased to have you with me because I've got Greg Weldon for you. This is the analyst that other analysts all read, the best data in the business. I'm going to get his take on what's going on, especially with that Fed uh, move or lack of move earlier this week. That's all ahead for you on Money Talks. Coming up, I've got a business comment I did earlier this week. Got an incredible reaction to it, so I thought I'd just share it with you across the country. As I said, uh, maybe I should put my helmet and flat jacket back on, but I'll let you, I'll share that with you in just a couple of minutes. Plus, Greg Weldon's coming up. And I think I've got a shocking stat that everyone I've told, well, I haven't told a lot of people. I think I've told three people, but each one has really been flabbergasted with my shocking stat. I'll share that with you. Michael Levy joins me back, uh, on the line. Mike, nice to have you back, and you have no shortage of big stories for us. Don't, Mike. And, you know, 
If you say the name Subway, well, Subway restaurants all over the world, say the name Fred DeLuca, and people will look at you and say, who? Well, Fred DeLuca, the billionaire co-founder of Subway, died this past week. Mike, uh, it's just an unbelievable story, starting with one restaurant in 1965 and 42,000 outlets today. It's a wonderful story, though, eh? I mean, of course, obviously phenomenally popular. Look at all the employment this guy starts. But did I read it right, Mike, that he started as like a 17-year-old? He was going to university, and he saw a fellow. He says, you know, this guy looks like he might have a few bucks. I'm going to ask him for a loan to help me through university. And he went up to this guy, Peter Buck, and he just explained that he was short of money. Maybe he could loan him $1,000, and he sort of thought in his mind, well, he's going to peel off some $100 bills and give them to me. And Peter Buck took a look at him and suggested that maybe they wanted to go into the sandwich business because when he had been growing up, Peter had had a small sandwich uh, uh, store in his hometown and thought they might model it after that. And guess what? They did. It's just an incredible 42,000 outlets worldwide. You know what's other, very quickly, though, Mike, what also is interesting is nobody knows this guy. I mean, nobody, but you know what I mean? It's not like we know the Kroc brothers, we know other famous entrepreneurs. Well, this is a phenomenal entrepreneurial story that has touched uh, literally tens of millions of people, not just sandwich eaters, but all the people who've gone through those outlets, working and getting their first job there, etc. And as I say, he's just not well known. No, Mike, he's not. And the funny thing is, for our listeners who want to go and see, hey, this is a real success story, what does Subway stock trade at? It doesn't. It's privately held. There's 42,000 franchises and the DeLuca family and the Buck family under their company, Dr. Associates, that's the name of their company, own it privately. You don't hear that story very often in today's day and age either. No, uh, just a quick word, as you mentioned, just to gloss, I don't want to gloss over it. I just love the fact that the guy who helped him out, DeLuca out, Buck, was a nuclear physicist. Who didn't see that coming? <laughs> Mike, let's go to the number two story. HP, Hewlett-Packard, are cutting another 30,000 jobs, Mike. That's on the heel of cutting over 50,000 jobs earlier this year. Boy, is this world ever changing. Well, isn't that the case, eh? I mean, it, it, that's the scariest part I find about tech if you're an investor, is somebody else comes along and the whole game changes, in very much the way Apple changed the current cell phone game, you know, when it came out with the smartphone, despite the fact it wasn't first on the market. But so many other examples, and some of the old standard companies like HP are the ones that uh, are looking. And by the way, it may well change the 3D printing game. It's got stuff going on there, but yes, you say 80,000 layoffs in this company. Uh, uh, Mike, it's huge. And you just these numbers, their profits in fiscal 210 were eight and three quarter billion dollars on 126 billion in sales. And this last year, 214, they earned five billion, three billion less on 111 billion in sales. And Mike, they had to do a reorg there. They're splitting the company into their enterprise business on one hand, and their other business line will be their printers, which everybody knows, and their laptop computers. But they had to do, make this dramatic move, probably in order to survive. We better get to number one while we got time. The U.S. Fed, damned if they do, damned if they don't. That's my headline. Mike, this, uh, the hype that went on and the uh, 
press and the covering wall to wall newspapers radio television on your laptops on your handhelds are they going to raise rates or not but the thing that struck me during the beginning of the week in the space of two days the likes of warren buffett larry fink of blackrock Lawrence Summers, the, the, the former head of the Federal Reserve, Lloyd Blankfein, the chairman and CEO of Citigroup, all said that the Fed should not raise rates in September. Mike, that should have been our clue that the rate raise was not coming. Well, I think, yeah, I think on this show uh, we were doubtful of it. But now all that does, Mike, eh, is push it forward to the December meeting and we'll start the whole game again. Will they, won't they? Uh, you know, but one of the, I think, two things to note very quickly, Mike. One is that we noticed that, uh, as uh, Stephen Polos, head of our bank, said, it's always serially disappointing, the lack of positive data, all the downgrades. That's what's held back rate increases. But the other one is this, is it is absolutely astounding the level of focus on the Fed. Uh, Victor says this all the time. We talk about it. What are you trading? We're trading the Fed. I think that's got a lot of inherent risk when you're looking for just one piece of information and then the market reacts dramatically to it. So, yeah, we begin again probably uh, very soon uh, talking about the December rate potential hike. We do, Mike, and just quickly, I've got to say that if the Fed were looking at what the Fed should be looking at, which is U.S. employment, U.S. inflation, and somewhat on the economy, they'd have raised rates a long time ago. They are so concerned, and this is what you've been talking about on Money Talks, about the global economy, about China, about Europe, uh, about the BRIC nations, and the U.S. can be so impacted internally by what's going on externally this is why the Fed did not raise rates. But as Doug Porter, Bank of Montreal chief economist, said, those numbers in the U.S. are going to continue to look good, and the U.S. economy will eventually have them raise rates and don't worry about the stock market. And he's saying this literally because after we get over this bump in the road that the Fed perpetrated this past Thursday, things are going to return and be a little better in the U.S. Well, we'll keep an eye on it, obviously. Uh, We've got lots to talk about on that. Mike, nice to have you back. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Take a break. Come back. I got a business comment that uh, really uh, brought the email down on me. The wrath of goodness gracious, I should say. Hey, the other thing, I just want to tell you a great, it was happened to me personally, but it's a fantastic example of great service we always complain about service i'm going to give you a quick one great service also as i say i'll play that business comment for you that look out below i got a helmet on weldon stay with me isn't it nice once in a while to have a positive customer service story well i had a terrific one this is top of my list been traveling around a bit i'm in uh, quebec right now was in ottawa a couple days ago this weekend though i'm spending it at mount tremblant the hotel i was staying at had real difficulty giving me the kind of things I need to be able to broadcast live from at this quality. So I go over to the Fairmont and I tell them, hey, guess what? The Fairmont Tremblant. Hey, guess what? I got this problem. I'm usually staying at the Fairmont, but you guys were sold out. I'm going to stay at the Fairmont uh, when I leave Tremblant. I need some help here. You know, it's so easy to say no. Instead, I had two people who work here, Carolyn Paquette and Kevin Savary, who just went above and beyond. They said, you know what, you're important. 
you know, I'm going to help you. It was never can't do, it was always can do, and presto, here I am today. I was just so blown away, and it's nice to see, and I'm going to let their employers know because I'll tell you, they did proud for the Fairmont Hotel chain, and especially Fairmont Tremblant, which, by the way, is absolutely gorgeous. Great place to be. Great golf here also, which I plan to play golf tomorrow. But all of that because two employees didn't care about anything but helping the customer. Love to be able to say that. During this week, uh, I did a business comment. Man, did I ever get some flack for it. It was about this uh, whole group of progressives who got together and did this Leap Manifesto. Let me play it for you now. I read with interest the Leap Manifesto released yesterday by self-described progressives like Naomi Klein, David Suzuki, Donald Sutherland, Ellen Page, and a host of other celebrities. By the way, their definition of progressive thought is anything they think. The Leap Manifesto read like a grade 9 essay. All the right buzzwords, social justice, their definition of course, caring for one another, an end to fossil fuels for the sake of Mother Earth and end to inequality. It's not that I disagree with those lofty goals, it's just that without practical, keyword practical and detailed plans, it's really nothing but a feel-good hallmark card for progressives. It's an interesting reflection though on the authors that they actually think they just added something meaningful for the rest of the poor sops to salute. I mean, contrast that with the actual practical actions of people like Elon Musk, who didn't just talk, he took action with both Tesla batteries and Solar City. And there's even more individuals who don't seek the limelight, but instead work at the kind of practical innovations that have resulted in the average new car being 28% more fuel efficient since 2007. I mean, these guys talk about immediate action on climate change, yet they refuse to give up air travel or cars or unwilling to sell one of their properties or downsize their house to reduce their ecological footprint. I mean, it's amazing to hear the anti-capitalist rhetoric of people like Donald Sutherland, David Suzuki, who've made big money thanks to capitalism. The Leap Manifesto reminded me of Stephen Colbert's observation that the real divisions in society are between those that think with their head and those that know with their heart. You know, it's just interesting. I think we've just got to get by this thing where you've got these grandstanders, these big talkers, and actually take action. There are people doing it, as I mentioned in that comment, making incredible contributions. I've just heard enough from these uh, uh, celebrity and progressive elites. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got Greg Weldon with me. He's great. Stay with us.